Chapter Sixteen of Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Sixteen. Tarzan again leads the Mangani. Achmet Zek, with two of his followers, had circled far to the south to intercept the flight of his deserting lieutenant Werper. Others had spread out in various directions so that a vast circle had been formed by them during the night, and now they were beating in toward the center. Achmet and the two with him halted for a short rest just before noon. They squatted beneath the trees upon the southern edge of a clearing. The chief of the raiders was in ill humor. To have been outwitted by an unbeliever was bad enough, but to have at the same time lost the jewels upon which he had set his avaricious heart was altogether too much. Allah must indeed be angry with his servant. Well, he still had the woman. She would bring a fair price in the north, and there was, too, the buried treasure beside the ruins of the Englishman's house. A slight noise in the jungle upon the opposite side of the clearing brought Achmet Zek to immediate and alert attention. He gathered his rifle in readiness for instant use, at the same time motioning his followers to silence and concealment. Crouching behind the bushes, the three waited, their eyes fastened upon the far side of the open space. Presently the foliage parted and a woman's face appeared, glancing fearfully from side to side. A moment later, evidently satisfied that no immediate danger lurked before her, she stepped out into the clearing in full view of the Arab. Achmet Zek caught his breath with a muttered exclamation of incredulity and an imprecation. The woman was the prisoner he had thought safely guarded at his camp. Apparently she was alone, but Achmet Zek waited that he might make sure of it before seizing her. Slowly Jane Clayton started across the clearing. Twice already since she had quitted the village of the raiders had she barely escaped the fangs of carnivora, and once she had almost stumbled into the path of one of the searchers. Though she was almost despairing of ever reaching safety, she still was determined to fight on until death or success terminated her endeavors. As the Arabs watched her from the safety of their concealment, and Achmet Zek noted with satisfaction that she was walking directly into his clutches, another pair of eyes looked down upon the entire scene from the foliage of an adjacent tree. Puzzled, troubled eyes they were, for all their gray and savage glint, for their owner was struggling with an intangible suggestion of the familiarity of the face and figure of the woman below him. A sudden crashing of the bushes at the point from which Jane Clayton had emerged into the clearing brought her to a sudden stop, and attracted the attention of the Arabs and the watcher in the tree to the same point. The woman wheeled about to see what new danger menaced her from behind, and as she did so a great anthropoid ape waddled into view. Behind him came another, and another, but Lady Greystoke did not wait to learn how many more of the hideous creatures were so close upon her trail. With a smothered scream she rushed toward the opposite jungle, and as she reached the bushes there Achmet Zek and his two henchmen rose up and seized her. At the same instant a naked brown giant dropped from the branches of a tree at the right of the clearing. Turning toward the astonished apes he gave voice to a short volley of low gutturals, and without waiting to note the effect of his words upon them, wheeled and charged for the Arabs. Achmet Zek was dragging Jane Clayton toward his tethered horse. His two men were hastily unfastening all three mounts. The woman, struggling to escape the Arab, turned and saw the ape-man running toward her. A glad light of hope illuminated her face. 
"'John!' she cried. "'Thank God that you have come in time!' Behind Tarzan came the great apes, wondering but obedient to his summons. The Arab saw that they would not have time to mount and make their escape before the beasts and the man were upon them. Achmet Zek recognized the latter as the redoubtable enemy of such as he, and he saw, too, in the circumstance, an opportunity to rid himself forever of the menace of the ape-man's presence. Calling to his men to follow his example, he raised his rifle and leveled it upon the charging giant his followers acting with no less alacrity than himself fired almost simultaneously and with the reports of the rifles tarzan of the apes and two of his hairy henchmen pitched forward among the jungle grasses the noise of the rifle shots brought the balance of the apes to a wondering pause and taking advantage of their momentary distraction achmet zek and his fellows leaped to their horses backs and galloped away with the now hopeless and grief-stricken woman Back to the village they rode, and once again Lady Greystoke found herself incarcerated in the filthy little hut from which she had thought to have escaped for good, but this time she was not only guarded by an additional sentry, but bound as well. Singly and in twos the searchers who had ridden out with Achmet Zek upon the trail of the Belgian returned empty-handed. With the report of each, the raider's rage and chagrin increased, until he was in such transport of ferocious anger that none dared approach him. Threatening and cursing, Achmet Zek paced up and down the floor of his silken tent, but his temper served him not. Werper was gone, and with him the fortune in scintillating gems, which had aroused the cupidity of his chief, and placed the sentence of death upon the head of the lieutenant. With the escape of the Arabs, the great apes had turned their attention to their fallen comrades. One was dead, but another, and the great white ape, still breathed. The hairy monsters gathered about these two, grumbling and muttering after the fashion of their kind. Tarzan was the first to regain consciousness. Sitting up, he looked about him. Blood was flowing from a wound in his shoulder. The shock had thrown him down and dazed him, but he was far from dead. Rising slowly to his feet, he let his eyes wander toward the spot where last he had seen the she who had aroused within his savage breast such strange emotions. "'Where is she?' he asked. "'The Tormangani took her away,' replied one of the apes. "'Who are you who speak the language of the Mangani?' "'I am Tarzan,' replied the ape-man. "'Mighty hunter, greatest of fighters. When I roar, the jungle is silent and trembles with terror.' I am Tarzan of the apes. I have been away, but now I have come back to my people. Yes, spoke up an old ape. He is Tarzan. I know him. It is well that he has come back. Now we shall have good hunting. The other apes came closer and sniffed at the ape-man. Tarzan stood very still, his fangs half-bared, and his muscles tense and ready for action. But there was none there to question his right to be with them and presently the inspection satisfactorily concluded, the apes again returned their attention to the other survivor. He too was but slightly wounded, a bullet grazing his skull having stunned him, so that when he regained consciousness he was apparently as fit as ever. The apes told Tarzan that they had been traveling toward the east when the scent spore of the she had attracted them, and they had stalked her. Now they wished to continue upon their interrupted march." but Tarzan preferred to follow the Arabs and take the woman from them. After a considerable argument, it was decided that they should first hunt toward the east for a few days, and then return and search for the Arabs, and, as time is of little moment to the ape-folk, 
Tarzan acceded to their demands, he himself having reverted to a mental state but little superior to their own. Another circumstance which decided him to postpone pursuit of the Arabs was the painfulness of his wound. It would be better to wait until that had healed before he pitted himself again against the guns of the Tarmangani. And so, as Jane Clayton was pushed into her prison hut and her hands and feet securely bound, her natural protector roamed off toward the east in company with a score of hairy monsters with whom he rubbed shoulders as familiarly as a few months before he had mingled with his immaculate fellow-members of one of London's most select and exclusive clubs. But all the time there lurked in the back of his injured brain a troublesome conviction that he had no business where he was, that he should be for some unaccountable reason elsewhere and among another sort of creature. Also there was the compelling urge to be upon the scent of the Arabs, undertaking the rescue of the woman who had appealed so strongly to his savage sentiments, though the thought-word which naturally occurred to him in the contemplation of the venture was capture rather than rescue. To him she was as any other jungle she, and he had set his heart upon her as his mate, for an instant, as he had approached closer to her in the clearing where the Arabs had seized her, the subtle aroma which had first aroused his desires in the hut that had imprisoned her had fallen upon his nostrils, and told him that he had found the creature for whom he had developed so sudden and inexplicable a passion. The matter of the pouch of jewels also occupied his thoughts to some extent, so that he found a double urge for his return to the camp of the raiders, he would obtain possession of both his pretty pebbles and the she. Then he would return to the great apes with his new mate and his baubles, and leading his hairy companions into a far wilderness beyond the ken of man, live out his life, hunting and battling among the lower orders after the only manner which he now recollected. He spoke to his fellow apes upon the matter in an attempt to persuade them to accompany him, but all except Taglat and Chulk refused. The latter was young and strong, endowed with a greater intelligence than his fellows, and therefore the possessor of better developed powers of imagination. To him the expedition savored of adventure, and so appealed strongly. With Taglat there was another incentive, a secret and sinister incentive, which, had Tarzan of the Apes had knowledge of it, would have sent him at the other's throat in jealous rage. Taglat was no longer young but he was still a formidable beast, mightily muscled, cruel, and because of his greater experience, crafty and cunning. Too, he was of giant proportions, the very weight of his huge bulk serving oft-times to discount in his favor the superior agility of a younger antagonist. He was of a morose and sullen disposition that marked him even among his frowning fellows, where such characteristics are the rule rather than the exception. And though Tarzan did not guess it, he hated the ape-man with a ferocity that he was able to hide only because the dominant spirit of the nobler creature had inspired within him a species of dread which was as powerful as it was inexplicable to him. These two, then, were to be Tarzan's companions upon his return to the village of Achmetzek. As they set off, the balance of the tribe vouchsafed them but a parting stare, and then resumed the serious business of feeding. Tarzan found difficulty in keeping the minds of his fellows set upon the purpose of their adventure, for the mind of an ape lacks the power of long-sustained concentration. To set out upon a long journey with a definite destination in view is one thing, 
To remember that purpose and keep it uppermost in one's mind continually is quite another. There are so many things to distract one's attention along the way. Chulk was, at first, for rushing rapidly ahead, as though the village of the raiders lay but an hour's march before them, instead of several days. But within a few minutes a fallen tree attracted his attention, with its suggestion of rich and succulent forage beneath, and when Tarzan, missing him, returned in search, he found Chulk squatting beside the rotting bowl, from beneath which he was assiduously engaged in digging out the grubs and beetles, whose kind form a considerable portion of the diet of the apes. Unless Tarzan desired to fight, there was nothing to do but wait until Chulk had exhausted the storehouse, and this he did only to discover that Taglat was now missing. After a considerable search he found that worthy gentleman contemplating the sufferings of an injured rodent he had pounced upon. He would sit in apparent indifference, gazing in another direction, while the crippled creature wriggled slowly and painfully away from him, and then, just as his victim felt assured of escape, he would reach out a giant palm and slam it down upon the fugitive. Again and again he repeated this operation, until, tiring of the sport, he ended the sufferings of his plaything by devouring it. Such were the exasperating causes of delay which retarded Tarzan's return journey toward the village of Achmet Zek. But the ape-man was patient, for in his mind was a plan which necessitated the presence of Chulk and Taglat when he should have arrived at his destination. It was not always an easy thing to maintain in the vacillating minds of the anthropoids a sustained interest in their venture. Chulk was wearying of the continued marching and the infrequency and short duration of the rest. He would gladly have abandoned this search for adventure had not Tarzan continually filled his mind with alluring pictures of the great stores of food which were to be found in the village of Tarmangani. Taglat nursed his secret purpose to better advantage than might have been expected of an ape, yet there were times when he too would have abandoned the adventure had not Tarzan cajoled him on. It was mid-afternoon of a sultry tropical day when the keen senses of the three warned them of the proximity of the Arab camp. Stealthily they approached, keeping to the dense tangle of growing things which made concealment easy to their uncanny jungle craft. First came the giant ape-man, his smooth brown skin glistening with the sweat of exertion in the close, hot confines of the jungle. Behind him crept Chulk and Taglat, grotesque and shaggy caricatures of their godlike leader. Silently they made their way to the edge of the clearing which surrounded the palisade, and here they clambered into the lower branches of a large tree overlooking the village occupied by the enemy, the better to spy upon his goings and comings. A horseman, white burnoosed, rode out through the gateway of the village. Tarzan, whispering to Chulk and Taglat to remain where they were, swung monkey-like through the trees in the direction of the trail the Arab was riding. From one jungle giant to the next he sped with the rapidity of a squirrel and the silence of a ghost. The Arab rode slowly onward, unconscious of the danger hovering in the trees behind him. The ape-man made a slight detour and increased his speed until he had reached a point upon the trail in advance of the horseman. Here he halted upon a leafy bough which overhung the narrow jungle trail. On came the victim, humming a wild air of the great desert land of the north. Above him poised the savage brute that was today bent upon the destruction of a human life. 
the same creature who a few months before had occupied his seat in the House of Lords at London, a respected and distinguished member of that august body. The Arab passed beneath the overhanging bough. There was a slight rustling of the leaves above. The horse snorted and plunged as a brown-skinned creature dropped upon its rump. A pair of mighty arms encircled the Arab, and he was dragged from his saddle to the trail. Ten minutes later, the ape-man, carrying the outer garments of an Arab bundled beneath an arm, rejoined his companions. He exhibited his trophies to them, explaining in low gutturals the details of his exploit. Chulk and Taglat fingered the fabrics, smelled of them, and placing them to their ears, tried to listen to them. Then Tarzan led them back through the jungle to the trail where the three hid themselves and waited. Nor had they long to wait before two of Achmet Zek's blacks, clothed in habiliments similar to their masters, came down the trail on foot, returning to the camp. One moment they were laughing and talking together. The next they lay stretched in death upon the trail, three mighty engines of destruction bending over them. Tarzan removed their outer garments as he had removed those of his first victim, and again retired with Chulk and Taglat to the greater seclusion of the tree they had first selected. Here the ape-man arranged the garments upon his shaggy fellows and himself until, at a distance, it might have appeared that three white-robed Arabs squatted silently among the branches of the forest. Until dark they remained where they were, for, from his point of vantage, Tarzan could view the enclosure within the palisade. He marked the position of the hut in which he had first discovered the scent-spoor of the she he sought. He saw the two sentries standing before its doorway, and he located the habitation of Achmet Zek, where something told him he would most likely find the missing pouch and pebbles. Chulk and Taglat were, at first, greatly interested in their wonderful raiment. They fingered the fabric, smelled of it, and regarded each other intently with every mark of satisfaction and pride. Chalk, a humorist in his way, stretched forth a long and hairy arm, and grasping the hood of Taglat's burnous, pulled it down over the latter's eyes, extinguishing him snuffer-like, as it were. The older ape, pessimistic by nature, recognized no such thing as humor. Creatures laid their paws upon him for but two things, to search for fleas and to attack. The pulling of the Tarmangani-scented thing about his head and eyes could not be for the performance of the former act, therefore it must be the latter. He was attacked. Chulk had attacked him. With a snarl he was at the other's throat, not even waiting to lift the woolen veil which obscured his vision. Tarzan leaped upon the two, and swaying and toppling upon their insecure perch, the three great beasts tussled and snapped at one another until the ape-man finally succeeded in separating the enraged anthropoids. An apology is unknown to these savage progenitors of man, and explanation a laborious and usually futile process. Tarzan bridged the dangerous gulf by distracting their attention from their altercation to a consideration of their plans for the immediate future. Accustomed to frequent arguments in which more hair than blood is wasted, the apes speedily forget such trivial encounters, and presently Chulk and Taglet were again squatting in close proximity to each other and peaceful repose, awaiting the moment when the ape-man should lead them into the village of the Tarmangani. It was long after darkness had fallen that Tarzan led his companions from their hiding-place in the tree to the ground and around the palisade to the far side of the village. Gathering the skirts of his burnous beneath one arm, that his legs might have free action, the ape-man took a short running start and scrambled to the top of the barrier. 
Fearing lest the apes should rend their garments to shreds in a similar attempt, he had directed them to wait below for him, and himself securely perched upon the summit of the palisade, he unslung his spear and lowered one end of it to Chalk. The ape seized it, and while Tarzan held tightly to the upper end, the anthropoid climbed quickly up the shaft until with one paw he grasped the top of the wall. To scramble then to Tarzan's side was the work of but an instant. In like manner Taglat was conducted to their sides, and a moment later the three dropped silently within the enclosure. Tarzan led them first to the rear of the hut in which Jane Clayton was confined, where, through the roughly repaired aperture in the wall, he sought with sensitive nostrils for proof that the she he had come for was within. Chulk and Taglat, their hairy faces pressed close to that of the patrician, sniffed with him. Each caught the scent spore of the woman within, and each reacted according to his temperament and his habits of thought. It left Chulk indifferent. The she was for Tarzan. All that he desired was to bury his snout in the foodstuffs of the Tarmangani. He had come to eat his fill without labor. Tarzan had told him that that should be his reward, and he was satisfied. But Taglat's wicked bloodshot eyes narrowed to the realization of the nearing fulfillment of his carefully nursed plan. It is true that sometimes during the several days that had elapsed since they had set out upon their expedition, it had been difficult for Taglat to hold his idea uppermost in his mind, and on several occasions he had completely forgotten it until Tarzan, by a chance word, had recalled it to him. But for an ape Taglat had done well. Now he licked his chops, and he made a sickening, sucking noise with his flabby lips as he drew in his breath. Satisfied that the she was where he had hoped to find her, Tarzan led his apes toward the tent of Achmet Zek. A passing Arab and two slaves saw them, but the night was dark, and the white burnooses hid the hairy limbs of the apes and the giant figure of their leader, so that the three, by squatting down as though in conversation, were passed by unsuspected. To the rear of the tent they made their way. Within, Achmet Zek conversed with several of his lieutenants. Without, Tarzan listened. End of chapter 16